Greetings, podcast listeners. This is Liz. And this is Melissa. And you are now listening to Odds and Ends Podcast. Boom. (laughs) I think you should leave that in. Yeah, for sure. Here we go, round two. Here we go. Hey, Melissa, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm happy to be here in my pajamas. I know. We're both wearing our stretchy clothes, and I love that. I haven't left the house in a week. I just told you. I went to the grocery store today, and I wore my stretchy clothes to the grocery store, and then I came back home, and I probably won't go out again for another week. No, you, you fulfilled that need. You're good to go. Yeah, it's fine. Quarantine's weird. Oh. I, I started like grouping alike activities together. So I'm like, okay, this is going to be an appointment day. I'm acting like someone who lives in a remote area of the mountains. Or I'm just like, okay, I'm going to take care of them this day. Yeah, I do that too. I mean, I am kind of out in the boonies. So a little it's I... a little convenient for me to be like, I'm going to town this day. So I'm just going to do everything. But then I'm like not used to being in town anymore so I try and do everything in one day and I get really overwhelmed and I'm like this is too much I just you can't win well I mean we already were homebodies before and this is really a homebody pandemic so I'm I'm with you I did wear sandals and socks over so you know yeah (laughs) this has exacerbated my homebodiness for sure it was like level eight and now it's like level 15 oh on a one to ten i know my therapist keeps reminding me that the pandemic will be over one day so not to get too used to it um but i'm just really kind of enjoying it yeah aside from the whole the whole being nervous about getting it and people dying everywhere yeah but aside from that i'm talking about the lived experience (laughs) i mean (laughs) Sounds so heartless. This pandemic, it's great. It's amazing. No, I know what you're saying. We're not trying to be insensitive, but yeah, there are parts of it that have been okay. I'm really enjoying the mask part. I know a lot of people hate the masks, but as a certified germaphobe, (laughs) I enjoy knowing that other people's spittle is not freely flying from their mouths as they're talking at me. And I have a barrier on myself as well. It's like a double bagged situation. <laughs> Nothing's getting through. I mean, COVID can still kind of get through, but not, you know what not, I mean? Not if you're wearing an N95-er. Oh, I know. We do have some of those in the garage, well, but I never wear them. Some? You have a stash? I have a stash. <laughs> um, Gray's mom brought them to us. I don't know where she got them. On the nurse's black market or something. Wow. I feel kind of bad for having them because I guess... Some healthcare professionals probably need them. We only have like four. You know, they're on every in dial now at Lowe's and Target. So I think you're, I think you're I think safe okay. at this point. But I mean, just you don't have to bad know, mask don't, karma. <laughs> don't double dip around Melissa. <laughs> Do not. Do not double dip. I've been eating more Chipotle because I'm way more comfortable with people making my food there now because I used to mm. avoid going there. Unless I was really, really feeling a need for Chipotle burrito. Because as they're making their your burrito, they're like talking to you. They're like, oh, how are you doing? Do you want black beans or pinto beans? And I'm like, but I'm just like, 
they're talking right over the food. And you know little pieces of spittle are just going all into your burrito. And I just can't handle it. I mean, being a former healthcare professional, do you think, though, that that's a way to immune boost? Because, like, for example, in my house, I didn't realize, like, how germaphobe I am and, like, throwing out, like, food and things like that. My boyfriend, he'll still eat, like, food will get left out. He has no problem going back to He's got an iron gut. Oh, Gray's the same way. They'll, like, take something out that's expired by two months, like a salad mm-hmm. dressing or something, and be like, eh, well, if it's bad, I'll find out. And I'm like, what? No. No. I don't do that. No, I don't do that either. No, I don't it's want to because, barf. No, I hate being sick so bad that I'll do anything <laughs> to avoid that. But, yeah, no, I can't get around the Chipotle spittle problem. But now they wear masks while they're making it, and I feel so much better about my entire life. That's fantastic. And shout out to our significant others and their immune systems. Yeah, something. I mean, Gray <laughs> ate something the other day that was kind of past you. Oh, it was this um, vegan Parmesan cheese that we have oh. in the fridge. And like vegan stuff usually stays good for a while, like because it's, you know, it doesn't have any meat or dairy in it. But yeah, um, yeah, they felt kind of sick in the middle of the night and they were like, oh, I wonder if it was this cheese because it expired like a few months ago. Ew. And I was like, why did you eat it? No. They were like, it tasted fine. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you can never really tell with Parmesan cheese if it tastes fine or not because it always tastes a little sour, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, cheese is supposed to be aged, is it not? But maybe it doesn't apply to vegan cheese. Uh, no, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, on on that note, I was pretty stoked. I went to Save Mart, and all they've been having is the vegan mozzarella, uh-huh. and your girl just wants a quesadilla, something mm, fierce. Yeah. And they finally had cheddar cheese, and I did, you know, I did a happy jig in the middle of that aisle. Yeah. Because you are not vegan, but you are lactose intolerant. Indubitably. Very much so. People think it's funny, like, oh, you're going to get gassy. I'm like, no, I exercise projectile vomit. Yeah. It's just coming out everywhere, and it's not pretty, and that's a TMI, but... Our listeners enjoy it, I'm sure. They're here for the gross stuff, and we're bringing it Perfect. Well, full throttle. I mean, should we toss in our listener note and get started with our, our stories? Let's do it. Okay, awesome. So, everyone listening, just a friendly trigger warning. Um, we are odds and ends, so we'll kind of be talking about some murdery type things, but... Um, our stories do contain some mature content and we'll be discussing some things like abuse and mental illness. So also while we might, um, chat about these different elements, Melissa nor I are licensed psychologists, but we are bona fide nerds that can research very well. And we will have a couple resources, um, for anybody, uh, who wants to access that in the show notes. Also, I say, uh, and, um, and so a lot. Sure. I'm really trying to work on it. We're working on it. <laughs> we are not professional broadcast journalists. Oh my gosh. But, you know, it's bringing attention to it, so. Yeah. Now everyone's going to notice because you said it. I know. And now I'm going to think about it. It's going to throw me off. It's um, okay. It's fine. It all. We're, okay. We're all right. <laughs> okay, so I'm going first. Yeah, again away. This week. And I have... A strange one this week. Um, Perfect. You're at the right podcast. I Yeah. <laughs> I got it right. I mean, last episode was very dark and disturbing. So this one isn't quite as dark. It's just very mysterious. And we're going to be talking about strange, unexplained disappearances. 
Ooh. Mostly those that have happened in the wild, oh. namely in America's national parks. Oh. So, back when I was doing Strangish podcast, pre-Odds and Ends podcast, someone had reached out to me and said, hey, have you heard of the missing 411? And I was like, no. Hmm? And I guess it's a book series, and there's also been some documentaries based on the books about people who have disappeared, like, without a trace into the wilderness. So I was like, hmm, that sounds really interesting, because it's happened a lot of times, and no one Mm -hmm. knows where these people have gone. So I did sit down and watch one of the documentaries. There's several. Um... And it was very interesting. And I was like, I need to know more about this. And I need to tell more people about this because I'd personally never heard of it. I didn't know Um, that this happened. I actually, I guess, had an experience with that when I was living on an army base at one point. Two pregnant women went missing. And I was never informed what happened. People didn't know. Really? In the wild? I mean, from the technically, it's in the middle of the freaking desert. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, wait, what is it? Death Valley. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Yeah. We were like 45 minutes from Barstow, which mm-hmm. was a town. And anyone who's like gone through Barstow, that's usually on your way to Vegas. And you're like, hey, look, a place to pee and get a drink. And then you keep going. <laughs> right. It's and like a blip. Town. Yeah. yeah. You want to go on a hot date, you hit up the Chinese buffet. Oh, God. I know. <laughs> Not for the germaphobe. (laughs) I was certain I was going to get some type of foodborne illness. Yeah, I cannot do buffets. (laughs) No way. But that went on a weird tangent. Yeah, But anyway, so I'll be really excited to kind of hear. Yeah, these surrounding circumstances. So, yeah, I was trying to find like like one story to tell, but there's just so many interesting ones that I decided to just do like little mini... um, stories on like a few different people that I found that were interesting so I mean they're all interesting I don't want to say that any of these stories (laughs) is better than the other but you know what I mean ones that really kind of drew me in and I was like that's so weird it's so strange where did they go (laughs) so I want to ask you though have you ever gone hiking alone yes multiple times me too it's very soothing, especially when you just don't want to talk. You get like a good audiobook going. I used to go like for a hike and a swim. Yeah. Not with a gun. Probably should have brought a gun at this point. I've been hiking a lot on my own and I don't think I'm going to do it anymore now. Yikes. Okay. Probably not me either. I think I'm just really <laughs> freaked out and now I'm looking back at all the times I went hiking alone and I'm like, oh my God, mm-hmm. I survived so many <laughs> survived so many times <laughs> there's someone waiting in the bushes and they're like mm, not you not today <laughs> yeah i don't know my life was spared luckily oh, no. so according to the national missing and unidentified persons system how many are wow. typically not alive good on law enforcement for figuring out that high of a percentage because that's a lot of people right it is a lot of people but still if you think like around I'm bad at math but like 8 to 11 (laughs) percent of those people of 600,000 people are never found every year Mm. so that alone is like disturbing to me where I'm like oh my gosh people just 
vanishing without a trace. I wish I would have done the math on what's, uh, we'll say like 10% of 600,000 is what? 60,000. 60,000. Yes. Yes. So 60,000 people go missing in the U.S. every year that are never recovered. If my, I'm bad at math too. So I, I do believe that that's the correct amount. Though. I think you're right. Okay. Oh, good. I mean, because 60,000. So Did you see how quick my math was? Yeah. Because yeah. 60 times 10 is 600. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Quick math lesson in the middle of odds and ends. You're welcome. <laughs> we need to have our calculator out next time. So I guess how many people disappear in the national parks or in the wild in general is unclear because no one's keeping track of those. And especially on national park land, um, because I'll go into that in a second. So the most reliable info on missing people in the wild comes from Bigfoot hunters. Yes. I was going to say, I'm a, I was hoping Bigfoot would come into this, <laughs> or did. the Yeti, or something. Bigfoot. How cool. Way to go, Bigfoot hunters. Okay. Bigfoot hunters are keeping track. Okay. Namely, this guy called David Polides, and he is the founder of the North American Bigfoot Search and author of the missing... 411 book series, which is what I was talking about in the beginning. Oh, interesting. Which chronicles the stories of people who have disappeared in the wilds of North America. Side note. Huh. Bigfoot related. What? Do you remember the time we went to the Bigfoot Museum? Of course I remember when we went to the Bigfoot Museum. Oh my gosh, that was a day. There was all kinds of Bigfoot memorabilia and casts, and we got to talk to a Bigfoot hunter that looked like Santa. We should put that in our show notes, too. Yes. Mm -hmm. That guy was amazing. That place was so interesting, and he had so many cool stories about Bigfoot and his own encounters with Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. And he did not seem, you know, like sometimes you're like, oh, that guy's out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He just seemed like a regular nice old man who just had these experiences. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, you're so cool. Shout out to Bigfoot Museum in Felton, California right now. Yeah. As I mentioned, nobody's keeping track. There's no federal database of people who have disappeared in national parks, even though it's considered federal land. Hmm. So I'm not sure why no one's keeping track. But no one's keeping track. In 2011, this David Polides guy took matters into his own hands, and he compiled his own research and launched a database of wildland disappearances that occurred under, quote, mysterious circumstances. From his research, there are at least 1,600 people, give or take, currently missing in the wild somewhere in the United States. So I guess 1,600 doesn't sound like a lot compared to how many go missing each year, but considering the fact that all of these are very mysterious Mm -hmm. and aren't recovered... That's a lot of people's lives. That's a lot of people's lives. Of course... Some of the cases of missing people can be explained by tragic accidents that are inherent risks of exploring the great outdoors, such as succumbing to an animal attack, falling from the peak of a mountain, or being exposed to extreme weather. But many of the cases of people who disappear into the wild are deemed suspicious since these people seem to vanish without a trace. Mm. So let's talk. Dum, dum, dum. dum. (laughs) Let's talk about some of these people. Let's do it. 
the first person I want to talk about is Dr. Maurice Demetz, or Doc, as his friends like to call him. Oh, I love it. He disappeared April 29th, 1981 in Pike National Forest in Colorado. 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 84-year-old. He was 84. That makes me so sad. He's out there exploring at 84. Way to go, Doc. I like him already. Yeah. So, well, he wasn't exploring per se, but we'll get to that. Oh. So, 84-year-old Reverend Maurice Doc Demetz went on a trip with a friend, David McSherry, to find topaz near the Topaz Point picnic area. Doc had an interest in gems and minerals and was a member of the American Federation of Mineral Societies and... I filled an application for them. (laughs) You did? I'm not lying. What? (laughs) I'm not lying. I love rocks. (laughs) I... You don't have to convince me that you're not lying. I totally believe that (laughs) that's a true fact about you. So you filled out an application for the American Federation of Mineral Societies. Yes, but they wanted you to, like participate regularly with these volunteer things that I just could not do at the time. Mm. And it was just too much, too much to do. Can't be bothered. I just couldn't keep up with the requirements. So I just ended up not joining, but I did (laughs) application. Yeah. Who knew the American Federation of Mineral Societies had such a demanding... It was just, you know, people get their hands on it local and they want you to do all these things, go to the fair and talk about rocks, which sounds cool, but not when you have homework. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So Doc was involved in that society and Flatiron's Gem and Mineral Club. Did you apply to that one? I didn't. That sounds very exclusive, though. Yeah. So Doc was also an author. He wrote several books. Doc was a smart dude. And he liked rocks. And he was a reverend. Mm -hmm. So he Mm -hmm. was a cute old guy going to the forest with his friend David McSherry to find Topaz. Doc, being 84 and all, he had a range of health problems that caused him to rely on his friend David to help him get around. And his bad knees made it it hard for him to get very far on his own. So at the park that day... Doc needed some help from David to get to his digging spot, which was a small, sandy pit close to the Rampart Range Road. David left Doc and found his own spot to dig about 50 yards away. For us Americans, that's about 150 feet. So not that far. I know, I'm like, yards? What is that? (laughs) I mean, yards isn't really imperial. It would be kind of the same as meters, which is Mm -hmm. imperial. Come on, America. uh, Let's uh, just get on that system. Yeah, let's, please. Although, kind of not, because I don't know how far anything is. (laughs) So, he was only about 150 feet away, not very far, within, like, earshot, like, if you call out, you know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. at around 3 o'clock p.m., after two hours of digging, David walked over to Doc to let him know that it was time to head home, and then he returned to his own pit to clean up the tools and collect the stones. When he walked back to Doc's spot only 15 minutes later... Doc was nowhere to be found. There was also no sign of his tools, which we had, which he had been using to dig holes in the ground. Mm. Suspicious. Although David would have been surprised if Doc could have made it back up the hill on his own. He initially assumed that Doc had packed up and headed back to the car. Yeah, like we all would. Right. 
but his knees weren't good. And so he's like, well, that's weird. Anyway, David headed up to the car just to double check and Doc wasn't there. So David waited. He was honking the horn. He was calling out, but there was no response. Mm. The site where Doc was last seen was not disturbed other than the small pit he was digging to find the topaz. There were no signs of a struggle in the dirt and no blood was present, indicating that Doc had not been attacked by a wild animal. Additionally, with Doc being only 150 feet away from David, if there had been an attack or some sort of a kerfuffle, (laughs) to to grab your word from last week, (laughs) David would have heard that. So David called in and was like, hey, my old man friend is gone. And (laughs) the Douglas County Sheriff was notified and search and rescue teams soon arrived at the scene. For the following five days, the area was searched thoroughly by grid patterns with no sign of Doc. The search dogs could not even pick up a scent. What? Yeah, Doc was never seen or heard from again. His (gasps) tools or any other evidence of his whereabouts were never found. Aliens. Right? It was aliens. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, no footprints, no scent, no, his tools are gone. No, like, clothing. Nothing was found, ever. No footprints, like, leading away from the nope. site? No animal prints? Mm-mm, nothing. And, like... How terrible for them. Isn't that crazy? And I there's... would be mad. It's like when you have a puzzle that's done except for the last piece. Yeah. Where it's, that like... frustration only except for this is your person and your human that... Right. So <laughs> amplified intensively. And I read also additionally that like some people were suspecting foul play, like maybe David did something to Doc. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a motive? But yeah, it was like there was no motive. Like they were friends. David helped kind of like get Doc around sometimes. They hung out. Like there was absolutely like David was interviewed and it was found like there was no absolutely no reason for him to do this. Like it would have been. Weird. The story checked out. Like, they were both there digging. Like, That's so weird. there was no, no sign of anything. Yeah, it was no crazy. No body was ever recovered. Nope. Nothing. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, that's the story of oh, I was Doc Demet. I know. Oh, wow. There's a lot of... There's a lot of dogs calling. They're, it's for Doc. Yeah, they're crying. My <laughs> my uh, neighbor's dogs like to go out at about this time of night, every night. And <laughs> I think they have like five dogs. And they just all go out and howl and bark really loud. So I don't know if that'll pick up on the mic, but oh, it's just sorry. just nice soothing background noise. Nice soothing howling in the background. <laughs> it really sets the scene. It does. For the uh, wilderness. Go ahead. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> if I was talking about werewolves, maybe a werewolf took him. I mean the wilderness. Oh, no, my dog just yelled. Just made a noise. Okay, the next person I want to talk about is James J. Arthur. He disappeared July 28, 2008 at Iron Lakes in Madera County, California. Which is... You mean the one we're in right now? We're here right now. I mean, we're not at Iron Lakes, but we're in Madera County. That's where I live. So, is that where you live? Is that... Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm in a different for the first, no, yeah, first time. Yeah. Other than, yeah, Fresno County. Yeah, so. so we're in the same we're deadly in, county. We're in the same deadly county where James Day Arthur disappeared on July 28th, 2008. So, on the day of his disappearance, decorated veteran James, quote, Jim 
Arthur, which I'll call him Jim for the rest of the time, age 67, told his family he was going hiking in the Star Lakes area to fish and take pictures. He also said he would stop in Big Sandy for lunch and then return home. His family expected him to be back before nightfall, but he never returned and has never been heard from again. Jim took with him a red backpack, a camera, and a cane. It's reported that he may have also been carrying a pistol with snake shot loaded to fend off rattlesnakes. Jim was an experienced hiker and was without health problems apart from some occasional knee pain. He was a graduate of Fresno State, <gasps> yay, a decorated veteran, and also a retired Air National Guard lieutenant. Wow. He was in pretty good shape. He was six feet tall, 189 pounds, and on the day of his disappearance was wearing a light jacket, an orange t-shirt, blue jeans, and a straw hat. And Aww. he had gray hair. Well, he has an orange shirt, so that's good. He's bright. You said he had a cane, though, so he gets around well, but he had a cane? Or was yeah, it like a walking stick? maybe it was stick. like a walking stick. Yeah. Yeah, because it was reported that he kind of didn't really have any difficulties getting around. So an extensive search of the Star Lakes area turned up no sign of Jim, but his dark blue four-door Dodge Ram truck was found near the entrance of Iron Lakes Reservoir, southeast of Star Lakes on July 29th, the day after his disappearance. The truck was parked on Baysor Road near the Baysor Meadows. The authorities said there were no indications of foul play at the scene where the truck was found. Two people had reported seeing Jim on a steep trail to Iron Lakes Uh and said they stopped and spoke with him a little. They said that he was hiking towards Iron Lakes and had stopped to take a rest. Over a hundred search and rescue team members took part in the search, focusing on the many lakes in the area, all of which are kind of small, so it's not like these are huge lakes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it was pretty easy to kind of like search them and make sure that he wasn't in the water. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... That it's, was a question. Yeah. yeah. You, you said he was on a steep walkway, mm-hmm. so I wasn't sure if he took a tumble. Yeah, but they did... I mean, 100 people were out search and rescue, canvassing the area. They searched the lakes... Like, you would think if he would have just, like, fallen down, they would have found him, especially if he was close to a trail. Yeah, because I was thinking, okay, could an animal devour a man that quickly? Right. If it was a multiple multiple pack, I mean, they could eat everything. But I don't think it could be so quick in one day since they were searching the next day. Yeah. And would they eat his cane and his camera? Even if they dragged it somewhere. Yeah, there was no blood. I mean, the bear was maybe like, hey, look, a new walking stick. Mine's been getting old. And a camera, too. Hey, hon, we can cancel our Amazon Prime order. Yeah. Or a Bigfoot. (laughs) I heard Bigfoots are really big on Prime. So, So, yeah, his truck was found. So, obviously, he got there. And also, he was seen by other hikers on the trail. Mm-hmm. But no evidence or remains have ever turned up in the 12 years since he disappeared. So That is odd. Because I was going to say, you said he was going to go to Big Sandy's. I was like, did he go to Big Sandy's restaurant? Nope. Truck was still there. Hmm. Yeah. Crazy, huh? I just always think, what if there's like a secret life these people live? So I'm like, was he having a happier life? I think that's more of a stretch than the Yeti. Okay. Because I'm like, maybe he had a secret girlfriend, and then he went and met her, and then they got her car and drove back, and then he 
Well, then he wouldn't need to move his truck. She could just meet him there. I'm saying, I've watched a lot of forensic files, so you I can have. come up with some very creative answers for where he went. Or aliens. I like the things you're saying, but you know me, I like aliens. So I always <laughs> go with, no matter what it is, I'm like, it's aliens. It's gotta be. It <laughs> just is. That's all There's I gotta no say. There's no belongings left. You know that aliens absorb that when they picked him up. Exactly. <laughs> Next case. George... Pensa, I think is how you say his last name, P-E-N-C-A, disappeared June 17th, 2011, also close by where we are, at Upper Yosemite Falls, Yosemite National Park, California. Can I just do a quick, I mean, announcement, Mm -hmm. confession that I've lived in Fresno most of my life until recently when I moved to Madera County and I still have not been to Yosemite, even though there's actually a canvas of it right in front of me right now. I know. I need to go. You do. I, I, I'm almost 30. I think it's time to go. It's beautiful there, although you may not want to go after hearing what happened to George. Maybe I've been actually very cautious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't really know what happened to George. So on the day of his disappearance, George Pensa, age 30, went hiking at the Upper Yosemite Falls in Yosemite National Park. George was from Hawthorne, California, and was visiting the National Park with his church group of 80 people, approximately 20 of which were hiking the Upper Yosemite Fall Trail that day. So he was with a group of 20. The group got to the top, hung out for a little bit, and then kind of everyone separated because everybody kept like heading back down at their own pace. Mm. And George likely fell behind the main group. His friends assumed he'd hiked back to the Yosemite Valley floor earlier and didn't report him missing until 9 p.m. that evening. Mm. So initial search efforts began on the same evening after George was reported missing, and a full-scale search and rescue operation was initiated on Saturday morning, June 18th, the very next morning. Around 105 search and rescue personnel from around the state were deployed, plus helicopters and six search dogs. Wow. Weather conditions over the weekend were mild with overnight temperatures in the upper 40 degree Fahrenheit range. On June 23rd, six days after George's disappearance, search efforts transitioned to a limited continuous search. After nearly one week of intensive searching, park rangers did not find any clues as to George's whereabouts. In the last nine years, no trace of George Bensa, sorry, Pensa has been found. His bank account has not been used. His bag, clothes, or remains have never been located. Girlfriend. Secret girlfriend. Secret girlfriend. You're, <laughs> you're sticking to that story hard. <laughs> I never thought of that angle, mm-hmm. but I guess, I don't know. People. That seems wild to me that sometimes people do have this double life thing going on. Mm-hmm. But People can be shitty. I don't know. I like to believe that there's an explanation for everything, but I also Mm -hmm. like to believe in aliens. (laughs) Back to aliens. And I like to believe in Bigfoot and Yetis. So I think that there is, yes, there is an answer, but it's not always what we think it is. Yeah. Because I was actually curious, and so I just looked this up, that Yosemite actually welcomes 4.3 million visitors last year alone. And they have about 13 to 20 fatalities annually. There's been 300 deaths. Oh, I'm sorry, 1,002 traumatic deaths. 300 are falls um, since the 1800s. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Dang. But that's not including the missing people. Right, because those people, nobody knows what happened. So they're not Mm. probably included in that total. I also want to know about his personality a bit. Was he he kind of a wild, like, rebellious fellow? He's like, choo-choo, cheerio, I'm going to take this here off the path, off the beaten path. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he was up with his church group, so... Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you can be rebellious and be in a church group. I was when I was a teenager. <laughs> Lord knows my pregnant ass going to youth group. Your gay pregnant ass. My gay pregnant ass going to youth group. <laughs> 17 years old. <laughs> yep. I was Y'all a wild Jesus. one. Y'all need... Jesus loves everybody. I just want to remind you. <laughs> Whew. Okay. Oh, poor guy. Okay. I know. George. I want to solve these. I know. I like that's like mysteries. That's like the wildest part to me is like, it's so hard to think about just going about your day thinking you're just going to like go on a hike mm-hmm. or whatever. And then you're like never seen or heard from again. And no one knows what happened. Like that freaks me out. That'd be terrible for families. For your family members. Yeah. It's like, how do you just go through the rest of your life not knowing? Exactly. That would be torture. Oh, that's yeah. terrible. Very, very terrible. Oh, golly. All right. Is okay. there another one? One more. And this one is a little bit of a different spin on this whole thing. So this person was found. Oh, yeah. With a secret girlfriend. After Not, he talked to aliens. No, oh, I wish. Saw the Bigfoot. No. <laughs> no, nothing All like right. that. Dang it. Well, maybe. We'll we'll see. Oh, okay. Ooh, so, okay. no, he doesn't. I Damn. just wanted to get you excited. Sorry. I got on the edge of my seat. <laughs> well, scooch back. Okie dokie. Okay. So, this is the disappearance and reappearance of Danny Philippidis, which I love that last name. You sound like a magician. The disappearance and reappearance. Disappearance and reappearance. Ta-da! I blocked David Copperfield. <laughs> Kind of. So this happened. He disappeared on February 12th, 2018. So this is a pretty recent one. Mm. Yeah. So Danny Philippidis was a 49-year-old firefighter from Toronto, Canada. In February of 2018, he and some friends went on a ski trip to Lake Placid in New York State. They spent the day skiing without incident. Important to note. Without Mm. incident. Noting. At 2 p.m., they were getting ready to head back to the cabin when Danny told the group that he needed to go retrieve his phone from the car and he would catch up with them. The group wasn't far from the car and it would have only taken a few minutes for Danny to retrieve his phone and come back. I think you know where this is going. Danny never came back. What? Right. Oh, wait. I lost my spot. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, there it is. Okay. You can start singing, you know, Danny Boy if you want. <laughs> no, that's okay. Danny I got like distracted by the name Danny, and then I started thinking about Greece. <laughs> and then I started picturing John Travolta as this guy, like if a movie was made, <laughs> and my brain just went on a total weird. I thought you meant the country, and I was like, <laughs> oh no, Greece, <laughs> Greece the really movie. Like, okay, Melissa, I'm sure I'll catch up eventually. <laughs> okay, I found my spot. Okay, so Danny never came back. After a few hours of waiting and repeatedly calling his cell phone with no answer, Danny's friends became increasingly worried. Of course, as you would if your friend's like, I'm just running to the car to get my cell phone, BRB, and then they like never come back for hours. Indubitably. So, of course, a search was mounted, but it seemed as if Danny had dropped off the face of the earth. What? 
After six days of intensive search and rescue efforts in Lake Placid, Danny's wife received a phone call from an unknown number. She answered and was shocked to find that the voice she heard on the other end was Danny's. Hell no. Oh, I'd be, I would be mixed and emotions of joy and peeved and, oh. Well, she said that his voice seemed faint and incoherent before he hung up. She quickly called the number back and talked to him again, but he seemed confused and unsure of where he even was. Police acted immediately, managing to track Danny down. I guess they probably tracked the cell phone call, if you can do... I don't know much about technology and how that it works. It depends. But... So each county has a different laws on that. So you have to check the different counties because some can trace, some can't. Oh. Yeah. Okay. See? Another word fact. Yeah. Another so word. I don't know. They... I don't know how they tracked him down, but they tracked him down. When they found him... So remember, he was skiing at Lake Placid in New York. Yeah, and after six days... When they found him, he was all the way across the country in what? Sacramento, California. Thousands <laughs> of miles away from where he had last been seen, oddly still dressed in his full skiing gear, but with a haircut and a new iPhone. Strangest of all is that he could not remember anything at all of how he had come to be there or what had happened to him. When Danny was questioned by authorities, he said he didn't remember much about the time he was missing, but believes he flagged down a truck to get a ride off the mountain because the next thing he remembered was waking up in a truck and the truck's driver telling him that he was in Utah. And then again, blank. So that's like the only little chunk that he remembered. That's that a he, hell of a nap. That it was like, he's all of a sudden in a truck. The truck was like, or the truck, the truck told the truck driver was like, we're in Utah. And then that's all he remembers. Sometime later, obviously the driver left him in Sacramento, still in his ski gear with no ID except a single credit card. So Danny went and purchased a new phone, but it took about a day for him to remember his wife's number. Because, of course, I guess if you don't have your cell phone, you're like... <laughs> so I guess he never made it to get his cell phone However, from where he was going you, to. If you have an iPhone, I'm sorry to interject, you have an Apple ID. Mm -hmm. So you should be able to just log in and get all your information back. You should be. Because this is 2018. Be. Right. You should be. It's but, not like the boy just needed a vacation. Yeah, I don't know. So he ends up calling his wife and... The authorities found him. So once Danny returned home safe, questions and rampant speculation swirled around his cross-country journey. The supposed <laughs> truck driver who transported him to Sacramento could hold the keys to the mystery, but authorities were unable to identify the driver. I mean, obviously, if he can't remember anything, he's not going to be able yeah. to say anything about the truck or the driver. So, And there's going to be so many trucks that go across the country that yeah. I'm sure even if you were able to narrow the list down, it would still be... Way too Huge. many people, yeah. A lot, yeah. So without that key witness, it would be very difficult to reassemble the full account of what really happened. So now we're going to consult a professional to see what they think happened. Oh. This professional is Dr. Charles Tater. So <laughs> Dr. Charles Tater, a brain surgeon at Toronto Western Hospital's Canadian Concussion Center, Oh. said, and center is spelled the Canadian way, C-E-N-T-R-E, which I love. Centre. I love Canadian spellings. Centre. Mm -hmm. Centre. So he said Danny's story likely describes amnesia resulting from a concussion. Mm. 
It happens maybe in 10% of cases of concussion that there is a period of amnesia, said Dr. Tater. He explained that amnesia frequently coincides with a loss of consciousness that comes after a severe blow to the head. Loss of memory can last anywhere from a few seconds to 24 or 48 hours in length, but he characterized Danny's six-day-long episode as, quote, unusual. So it said in the beginning of the story that they were skiing without incident. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he didn't bump his head. He didn't crash on his skis. I'm not going to make a Sonny Bono joke <laughs> because that would be really insensitive. <laughs> but I kind of alluded to it. So it might still be insensitive. I'm sorry, Cher. So maybe he slipped and fell on his way to get his cell phone and clunked his head like on the ground. I'm I'm just like when you're telling me I'm picturing, you know, our local up the mountain ski resort that we go to. And yes, it is icy. But I mean the parking lot's right there. If you were to fall that severely, um I would hope one someone would see you and two you'd be up in the mountains. So how close to a road were you? Like I guess I'm like I want the layout. Yeah. Of it because I when you were talking about it, I was like, does he have a history of mental illness or is he on any medications? I mean I don't know because he is a firefighter, so okay. and like a seasoned firefighter, so it's like so probably he probably not, not. like he probably checks out that yeah. way because I think for that job you have to be deemed pretty mentally stable. I was like, was he in the air force or that was the other guy? That was, that the, was other the other guy. guy. Um. So we have another professional to consult. Oh, great. Yeah, Dr. Jennifer Ryan. Okay. A senior scientist at the Rotman Research Institute in Baycrest in Toronto. And she had another theory on what could have happened and caused Danny's memory loss. Dr. Ryan said certain details of Danny's story suggest his amnesia may have been caused by something entirely different. A psychogenic or dissociative fugue Mm -hmm. state. Yes, okay. A fugue could be triggered by a head injury, but it could also be sparked by a traumatic event or, quote, emotional disturbance, she explained, essentially short-circuiting the subject's memory. She said, there's nothing physically wrong in the brain, but for whatever reason, the person has difficulty remembering who they are and where they are. So I guess cases of dissociative fugues often involve the subject traveling, which could partially explain Danny's expedition. Hmm. Dr. Ryan added that subjects typically don't remember the traveling itself. Their memory frequently kicks in when they find themselves in a new, unfamiliar location. Brains are cool. This is a huge shrug because something happened. Like, he's a perfectly healthy guy on a trip with his friends. All of a sudden, he just disappears and reappears on the other side of the country with no memory of it. So... And I, I suppose, like, I read several stories on this, and I could not find any info about, like, did, I'm sure they took him to a hospital and mm-hmm. did, like, an MRI. Like, they checked him out. They had to have. Like, yeah. if you have a, a knock on the head that severe to cause six days of amnesia, yeah, it wouldn't have been all free and clear by the time he was found. You know what I mean? No, there would still be definitely lingering symptoms. Yeah, and like a bump on your head, probably still something. Something would show, definitely. I would think. So I couldn't find info on that, which was annoying because I was like, I want to know more details on this, but I couldn't find much more than what I reported here. So I 
I wonder emotionally, I mean, was he and his wife, like, was there any, like, type of stressor? Like, was she pregnant? That that could somehow trigger him, you know? No idea. Brains are just cool like that. So, I mean... <laughs> I like that you go to pregnancy as, like, the triggering, horrible that emotional would be event. Trig- <laughs> Did you hear the last story that you told? <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking about... What was his name? Yeah. Uh, Clark? Clark. How did I remember that? I don't know. My brain is how I'll tell you that right now. No head injury there. Then, I don't know. It's kind of some wonky stuff clunk, clunking around up there, though. Yeah. Those are some real stories to ponder. Yeah. I definitely don't envy the detectives in these cases. There are a lot of fringe ideas to explain what's actually behind some of these suspicious cases. You want to hear some of these theories? Um, 112% go. So one we already touched on was aliens or UFOs. Yeah. And Bigfoot. But there are a few others that are really interesting, such as roving wormholes, (laughs) which I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, I know what a wormhole is in space. Is there such a thing as a roving wormhole? Can it come to Earth? Can it suck people up? I gotta know more about this. I didn't get a chance to research more on this, Just but go I'm gonna get my phone and all of a sudden get off and treat myself into a wormhole. I am going to space.com, my new favorite website. Ooh. And gonna search up roving wormholes. Is it a real thing? I don't know. Report back to us next next podcast, please. I will. Okay. Um, another fringe idea is forest spirits, which I'm not sure what that means. Hmm. I mean, have you seen Brave? There's a lot of like the willow, the wisps, I believe. There's a lot of uh, Celtic. Okay. I I'm... mean, like, it's one of those things. I, does anyone else feel this way? Where, like, you remember something and it's as if, like, the folder pops up and you're like, oh, great, it's titled Four Spirits. And you're like, I know I know something about this. And then you, like, open up the folder and there's, like, a post-it note that's like, I'll get back to you. Mm. And you're like, shoot, I know it, but there's nothing in the file. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. pretty much my life you just described right there. Fantastic. So I would assume forest spirits could be fairies. That's what yeah. popped into my head. But I don't mm-hmm. know if anyone knows what forest spirits are. Mm-hmm. I'm too lazy to Google it. So I'll be too busy <laughs> checking out roving wormholes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too busy. Um, and portals to other dimensions. Also Neat. a thing I'm very interested in. I learned recently... On a weird Google tangent deep dive Please. that there are some scientists saying that they found proof that parallel universes or dimensions do exist. But I'm not going to go into that right now, but that made me really excited and I love that idea. Cool. So maybe these people are just in like another dimension. They're still alive. They're living their lives in, Ooh. you know, a different parallel universe. The more skeptical take... Which I feel like you're on the skeptic side. Mm, 100% all the time, and I call it realism. Yeah. I don't like to think about he real things. He had a girlfriend in Sacramento because his wife was pregnant. He got stressed out. No, that's no fun. He wanted a new iPhone, and she wouldn't let him have one. <laughs> <laughs> you can be the realist on these types of things, and I will be the fun one. So, <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> The more skeptical take is that these are just people who have gotten lost and due to whatever mundane circumstances were able to avoid searches. So I don't believe that. How the fuck would someone just disappear with all their shit and no trace ever found? 
You don't just conveniently avoid hundreds of people searching for you and search and rescue dogs and helicopters. So who knows? You think it's all pre-planned, premeditated. People are just tired of their lives. They want to get out. I think alien abductions. So I mean, we'll it's kind of into Bigfoot. We'll agree to disagree. There is yeah. there was another story I read that was very Bigfoot. Maybe I'll report on that one another time because that one I felt like needed a lot more attention and probably deserves its own episode. It's, it's about a little kid. If it's Bigfoot, I'm in. And okay. unfortunately, mine is about children, like Ugh. last week's. I'm sorry. There are a I'm lot sorry. of like unexplained children disappearances <gasps> that were interesting. See, that is. But foul I didn't play. Yeah, I didn't want to touch on those because I did the heavy kid one last week, and I was like, uh, no, I'm gonna stay away from the kid stuff this week. But you're covering that for us, so. So some of the kids are dead, but some of them lived. Oh. So, okay. Are we are we ready to jump into this? Sure. Fantastic. Mm. So, all right, everyone, traveling your minds back to April 1991. Last last podcast we were in Chicago in the 20s. So, we're a little more modern. Modern 91. I was a wee lad. Uh, <laughs> I was 12 years old. I was 1 month old. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading my Teen Bop magazine. No, I wasn't doing that at 12. Oh, you might have been. I might have been. You might have been. Remember Teen Bop? No, you were one month old. I remember Teen Bop. It was yeah, around. Yeah. I realized I was getting old, though, when I saw the Teen Bops and I didn't recognize anyone on the cover. Oh, they weren't current Teen Bops. They were like retro, vintage yeah. Teen oh. Bops. No, I mean like when you get older and you see magazines and now it's like YouTube influencers or Insta oh. or... Oh, yeah, I don't know who Disney anyone is now. people. Yeah, I have no idea. I'm like, I'm getting old. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's no. okay with me. Okay. Yeah. So it's April 1991. Okay. Something weird has been going on in the children's ward at Grantham and Kesteven Hospital in Lincolnshire, England. Ooh. So. England. You've got a string of cardiac arrests and patients. Oh, no. I don't know if my accent is good enough to do it the whole podcast, so I'll move away from that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so four children have passed away by now following cardiac arrests that just have happened for no reason. So all these children have really come into the hospital for, for minor illnesses. So like chest infections, gastroenteritis. Um, preemies, so we'll go through some of them. But um, they look back at their records, and bum bum bum, there's only one nurse working at the time of all the attacks, and her name is Beverly Allett, soon to be known as the Angel of Death. No, Beverly, <laughs> that's not the kind of angel you want to be. Come on, you're in medicine to help. So, we're going to go back a little farther and look at her childhood. Let's hear about what happened to Bev. Yes, so this, I I think it's good to look at her childhood because it really leads to kind of what happens later. Yeah. So, she is born in Corby Glen. Sorry, I had to look over my other notes. Corby Glen um, in England. She's born as one of four children and... At a young age, she exhibited some worrying tendencies. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. So 
This included wearing bandages and casts over wounds that she actually wouldn't show the injuries to be examined. She became overweight as an adolescent. Mm -hmm. Um, She was really aggressive towards others as she became more attention-seeking as she got older and was known to Mm self-harm. Which, let me interject by saying we're not saying that being overweight is like, we're not trying to like pathologize being overweight, but that can lead to things like we all know, like bullying and not fitting in and people making you feel bad about yourself, unfortunately, especially back then. But yeah, I think this, cause this is coexisting with these other things. Definitely. That's an important note to make because being overweight and dealing with weight issues is no joke. And as an adolescent can be a sign of abuse and all kinds of other things. Right. I think it's because this is really, again, with that attention-seeking um, behavior. She also would go to the hospital a lot. So there was a lot of hospital stays mm. with it, too, for, like, physical ailments. She actually even had got to the intense point of removing her perfectly healthy appendix. Oh, Mm-hmm. Wow. And doctors start kind of picking up what she's doing. They're like, eh, we're, we're wise to a tricks, kid. And they see her attention-seeking behaviors, and so she begins to doctor hop so oh, that okay. she can get medical practitioners to take a look at her. So hopping all around, finding different doctors all the time, trying to... Mm-hmm. It, was she seeking, like... Because sometimes people who do that are kind of trying to seek medication, or was she just... That's a great question. Trying to fly under the radar. I think it was because she's a young kid, and and we're going to get to to what this is and what she actually was um, uh, assigned with. What is it? Uh, Diagnosed? That's the one. (laughs) What they assigned her to. (laughs) What they assigned her to. You're getting assigned to depression. (laughs) No, please. (laughs) Okay, my brain doesn't work all the time. It's fine. It's It's been a long day. I'm like, (laughs) we'll just edit that out. It's fine. (laughs) I'm leaving it. No! So she was assigned with... No, no, I want to build up to it. I I wrote this a very specific way. Okay, go. So a child, you know, that's dealing with all these things, familiar and wanting attention, becomes a messed up adult. Messed up children become messed up adults. She decides to train as a nurse. And that's how she (laughs) is going to make her living. And even during her training, there was some weird stuff going on. Um, there was smearing of feces on the wall in the nursing home where she trained. Oh. She was, of course, absent a lot due to illnesses, because that's still going on. So you're missing a lot of school with that, so not getting all the information. And her boyfriend at the time said she was really aggressive, manipulative, and deceptive. She claimed false pregnancy at one point and also claimed rape. Got it. I think I know what she's going to be diagnosed yeah, with. Yeah, okay. I think I got it. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be excited. I'm going to ask you right before I say it to you. It's, it'll be like a quiz. Okay, okay here we go. Okay, okay. So at 22, despite this poor attendance rate and failing her nursing exams, she was taken on a temporary six-month contract at Grantham and Kesteven Hospital in 1991, where she began working the children's ward. And really, to this hospital's credit, it was because they were chronically understaffed. They only had two trained nurses on the day shift, uh, one on nights when Beverly started working, which also might explain (laughs) how this behavior uh, went on for as long as it did without being detected. She's working at night alone. Mm. 
So. Man, night shift. I used to work nights as a nurse and that shit will fuck you up. I did not like night shift. Ooh. I won't, I wasn't killing people though because of it. That's good. Yeah. I mean, that's good to know. Yeah. Hopefully you're telling the truth. I am for oh, sure. Okay. I'm looking. <laughs> that was the most intense, honest look I've ever gotten. So, Melissa, hmm. what do you think that Beverly is diagnosed with? Oh, I just have a hunch. What's your hunch? Is it borderline personality disorder? So good. That is so good. But I thought she had that too. It could be comorbid. I mean, is it Munchausen syndrome? It's Munchausen. That was my second guess. I used to work in psych, so. Yes. So that's why I was so intrigued by this. Because also, not only does she have Munchausen's, which is uh, includes symptoms that are either self-induced or someone feigning um, illness or injury to get attention, but she also has Munchausen's by proxy. Mm. And it's pretty rare, I guess, for someone to have both. Uh, so Munchausen's by proxy is what it sounds like. It's inflicting injury on others to gain attention for yourself. So she kind of got to the point with the doctor hopping that this behavior of feigning illness, it no longer elicited these desired reactions in others. So she began to harm others in order to satisfy her need to be noticed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's no good. I mean, it's one thing to do things to yourself or to make up your own illnesses, but I think often with these by proxy situations, they're actually inducing these symptoms in other people because mm-hmm. they have to. Because you can't make someone else fake something, so you have to really make them sick for real. Yes, yeah. definitely. And and I think that's something that I want to keep you know open on the table is talking about Munchausen's, especially when it comes time to um, go to trial for this and looking at mental health and things like that. So I definitely want to keep that conversation open. I also want to note, since we're talking about her as a kid, that there was not, I I looked, there is not much information about her parents, surprisingly, Um, because I thought, you know, is there some type of abuse that's bringing this on? And all it says is that her mother was a school cleaner, which this is England, so I don't know if that's English for saying janitor. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I just learned on another podcast that lunch lady in England is called dinner lady. Oh, cute. From an episode I was listening and I was like, oh, she was a dinner lady, but that means lunch lady, like lunch lady. Because supper is then what we call dinner. Right? Yeah, I guess. Maybe in England, is it? Do they call dinner lunch? I believe that's what they call lunch dinner. Is breakfast and then dinner and then supper. Got it. And then uh, another weird thing. Um (laughs) (laughs) just stowed away up there, except can't remember the word diagnosed. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we pick and choose what we want to remember sometimes. Yeah. Um, and her dad worked as an off-license um, liquor store owner. Oh, off-license. Which sounds odd. That's what all it said. Mm, okay. And that's all it told me about the parents. So we can only assume. Yeah, there yes. wasn't any like reports of any sort of neglect or abuse or anything, but that, that doesn't mean it wasn't going on. Mm-mm. It just so, wasn't reported. I mean, if it's comorbid, like you said, it was something else. But so anyway, while working at the hospital here, so she attacked 13 children over a period of 59 days. Attacked? Yes. I mean, I would say that's attack when you're 
like you said, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. You can't just say, hey, could you play sick? You have to actually do something to them, which exactly constitutes an attack. Sure. Yeah. So this is only 59 days that these, these um, children are attacked. And medical staff only became suspicious after the death of her fourth victim, which it was a 14-month-old, which we'll get to. So her first victim is seven-month-old Liam Taylor. And he's admitted to the children's ward with a chest infection on February 21st of 1991. So she goes out of her way to reassure the parents that he's in capable hands. And she said, go ahead, go home, get some rest. Your kid's in good hands. Oh my God. No, she didn't say that, but I thought I should enter an evil laugh. Um, When they returned, she told them that Liam had suffered a respiratory emergency um, overnight, but that he had recovered. So being the great nurse she is, she volunteers for an extra night duty so she can watch over him. And the parents this time choose to spend the night at the hospital as well. Good which call. Is surprising because he has another respiratory crisis just before midnight. Um, but then it was felt he'd come through it Uh, well and was doing okay so he has a couple quote quote respiratory crises so this kid is doing well he gets to a second respiratory crisis this poor seven month old poor baby and then he's left alone with her again and his condition worsens dramatically he becomes deathly pale he gets red blotches on his face and at this point beverly calls the emergency resuscitation team And uh, nursing colleagues were just really confused that these alarm monitors hadn't sounded when he stopped breathing. And it just seemed kind of odd. Yeah. Liam suffers a cardiac arrest again and gets severe brain damage. So, I mean, your heart's shutting down. You're not getting blood pumping through. You know, you're the medical person here. Yeah, that's not good. So he's kept alive with life support machines. And upon medical advice, the parents make the tough decision to remove the baby from life support. Mm. Um, So his cause of death is actually recorded as heart failure. And she's never questioned about her role in his death at the time. Yeah. I mean, of course, no one would at that point. No, she just looks like a nurse helping. Yeah, exactly. This kid came in with a chest infection, could have gotten worse. We don't know. Well, two weeks later, Timothy Hardwick is an 11-year-old with cerebral palsy, and he is admitted with uh, following an epileptic fit. So she takes over his care again and is left alone with him. Well, during this time, he turns blue, he loses, uh, he's found without a pulse, and she calls the resuscitation team, the team, despite these team efforts, she is, they are unable to revive him. Mm. The autopsy couldn't provide an obvious cause of death, so his epilepsy was officially blamed. Shit. I know, I can't, and you see this kid's picture they, he's just adorable, and his parents loved him so dearly. I know, I'm bringing in the, I, we're just going facts. We're going facts. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sad. I hate kids dying. I mean, I, I hate anyone dying, but kids dying is the worst. I think that it always intrigues me, the brain, the, the psychological, I mean, the brain, how, what it can do when it malfunctions. That's why it's so hard to take in that emotional aspect, but... 
yeah you step off and you're like what was what's going on with the brain like why would this happen why oh yeah exactly Um, what causes a person to to do this yes yeah so 12 days before my birthday march 3rd (laughs) my actual first birthday oh wow look at you yeah well one-year-old kaylee (laughs) i'm almost there (laughs) so you and kaylee were almost the same age yeah she's one in march you're 12 you were you you were the same age you and kaylee oh yes 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 you were almost the same age as timothy yeah timothy and i could have been like homies buds yeah exactly he seemed adorable from his pictures uh, so this poor one-year-old comes in. She has a chest infection again, but she seems to be recovering well. Five days later, she goes into cardiac arrest in the same bed where Liam Taylor, our first victim, had died two weeks before. Jesus. Yes. They revive her, and she's transferred to another hospital in Nottingham. So you're like, fortunately, yay. While attending, physicians discovered an odd puncture hole under her armpit during a thorough examination and found an air bubble near the puncture mark. And they had attributed this to an accidental injection, so no investigation was initiated. What? I'm sorry, that's two things. Like, one, like, how do you slip and be like, whoops, that's your armpit? Yeah. I mean, she didn't graduate yet. She didn't pass her nursing exam, so... But still, how do you accidentally poke someone in the armpit? And then there's an air bubble, too. That's two things. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, that's, so that's where I'm... That's the point I'm at, where I'm just like, okay, that's odd. Someone dropped the ball. That should have been investigated, for sure. Well, then, um, 17 days later... I just did that math in my head. Oh, good for you. Thank you. Five-month-old Paul Crampton comes to the ward on March 20th because of a non-serious bronchial infection. So, again, (laughs) she's attending to this patient by herself. We cannot, I don't think, blame the hospital. They're understaffed. They're doing the best they can. Um, I actually watched a documentary, and all the nurses seemed just so darn pleasant. And they're like, we are just, they were so troubled by this lady. Yeah. So, you know, she's left with the patient again. It's just the way the shifts are. Um, but she calls for help when Paul appears to be suffering from insulin shock, going into a near coma on three separate occasions. He came in because of a non-serious bronchial infection. I'm yeah, I was going to say insulin shock. Is yeah. he diabetic? No. Oh. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So multiple times doctors revived him, but they were unable to explain these fluctuations in his insulin levels. So he's taken by ambulance to another hospital in Nottingham. Great. Mm-hmm. Except for our wonderful star nurse, Beverly, volunteered to ride with him. Oh, no. When he gets to the hospital, they again find too much insulin. Mm. Do you see where that's mm-hmm. going? Mm-hmm. This is what she's doing is yeah. using insulin mm. and air bubbles. So she's doing these things under the radar where they're not really going to be pointed out too quickly right yeah um she did survive though i do want or i'm sorry sorry paul survived he did survive okay the next day though (laughs) five-year-old bradley uh gibson a pneumonia sufferer goes into cardiac arrest so again we're i mean this is all in march right she started in february yeah so this is kind of odd that these cardiac arrests all of a sudden are happening from kids coming in with 
breathing troubles. Right. You know, his blood test shows his insulin was high. This is the next day. Right. right. Yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> is someone getting suspicious by now? Please, God, tell me someone is get, linking all of this together somehow. <laughs> Because if just, not... I'm just picturing Beverly over there, like, like on um, Snapchat and TikTok, like, who's going to know? Who's going to know? No one's going to know. Who's going to... Yeah. Don't be suspicious. Don't, Don't be, be suspicious. suspicious. <laughs> but apparently, she's right, because nobody is picking up on this shit somehow with all these kids having weird yes. insulin levels. Well, I mean, later they do say that they look to make sure it wasn't some type of an airborne thing, which definitely makes sense. So if these kids are in pneumonia, but... I mean, tell me, do, do people with pneumonia typically experience cardiac arrest? Is that something like a lung cardiac? I mean, you would have to be having a pretty severe case of pneumonia for pretty it to cute. affect your heart. I mean, yeah. Okay. Well, it would be really know. severe. It wouldn't be someone who was, like you said, they were like recovering. It was from pneumonia. Yeah. Like Okay. Bradley's tests show um, that his insulin's high. Um, and he's attended to by Beverly again, mm. which results in another heart attack later that night. And he's transported to this Nottingham hospital where he recovers. Okay. Okay. And I literally what? wrote this because by now we're all like, why is no one being suspicious? I typically, I, I wrote on purpose, despite this alarming increase, no suspicions were aroused at this time. <laughs> on March 22nd, 1991... There's a two-year-old victim, uh, Yik Hung Chan, who's also known by Henry. I really hope I said that correctly. Yes, that um, sounded good. He turned blue and appeared in distress, so mm-hmm. she raises the alarm. And symptoms are attributed to a fractured skull, the result of a fall. Mm-hmm. He responded well to oxygen, and he's again transferred to Nottingham, where he recovered after another attack. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, this one, I think, is the worst, in my opinion. You can tell me. Oh, boy. So, these are twins. Okay. Katie and Becky Phillips. They're just two months old, so brand new babies. Old babies. Yeah. And they're kept for observation because of premature delivery. So, kind of what we're saying is hospitals just monitoring. And Becky suffers a bout of gastroenteritis um, and is sent to the ward on the 1st of April. So, we're into a new month. And Beverly takes over the care. Only two days later, she raises the alarm, claiming that Becky appeared hypoglycemic and cold to the touch, but no ailment was found. Mm. So baby Becky sent home with her mother. She seems to be doing well, but all of a sudden in the night, she goes into convulsions and cries out in pain, which is a hard one to read. She cries out in pain, but doctors said it was just colic. I'm just like, okay, call like you're going to have a fussy baby. Mama's no between fussy baby and something's really wrong. Exactly. I would I would hope. I mean, doctors are also, when it's children, that has to be extra hard. Because they can't be like, hey, doc, it hurts here. I've been yeah. having the symptoms for roughly this long. Right. A two-month-old. Can't yeah, really so tell like, you. So they don't want to, like, jump to any conclusions. They're like, it's probably colic, not a deadly nurse. Yeah. So the parents kept her in their bed that night for observation and she died in the night. Oh, no. I know. Okay. Where's her sis? Where's the twin? Okay, so that's a really good question. So to be on the safe side, because the pathologist 
couldn't find a clear cause of death during the autopsy, Becky's surviving twin Katie is admitted as a precaution, and unfortunately for her, Beverly was the attending nurse again. <sighs> was admitted as a precaution because they thought maybe there was something medically wrong with her too, or they thought the parents had something to do? That's such a good question. I'm thinking because they're preemies and because they just said, because it sounds like, you know, because Katie, I'm sorry, Becky was taken into the parents' bed for observation. That tells me that probably they made a call to the doctor and said, hey, she seems kind of fussy. Should we take her in? And they're like, no, let's probably call it. Just watch her. Yeah. You know, so they're not, I don't think they're anticipating that it's. That the parents have anything yeah, to do with it. Yeah, okay. exactly. Because even with, um, we were talking about Henry. I mean, he, he fell and had a fractured skull and they didn't. Right anticipate that it was the parents the parents so i think it was more their preemies um they're not sure why she died so they want to be there in case something happens since it was so sudden with poor becky and it's like bring her to the hospital that's safe that's safe that's the safe place to be yes i and that's what i think scared me and (laughs) so i'm like generally we go in and um, I was listening to another podcast talking about uh, this surgeon who got through school because he only had like 100 hours under his belt and then ended up like killing people because he yeah. just didn't have enough training. And oh. how are you going to know? Goodness. Yeah. Who's I know. I have a very hard time <laughs> with doctors and hospitals in general. No offense if anyone listening is a doctor, but I just. I know there are some wonderful doctors out there who know a lot. Shout out to my PCP, Dr. Pauls over at Kaiser. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you have a good doctor. I haven't been able to find one here in Fresno yet. But, um, yeah, I mean, there are really great doctors and really great nurses that are competent and amazing and not murderers, but also people frighten me. And yeah, there are that's... some wackadoodly people out there. Hence why we have this podcast. Exactly. And look at the story that's happening right now. I know. So we have poor Katie here in the children's ward. And soon she's there being watched over by Beverly. And of course the resuscitation team is called to revive her. She'd stopped breathing. Two days later she suffers another attack. And subsequently her lungs collapsed. Oh shit. She's transferred to Nottingham where it was found five of her ribs were broken and she had suffered serious brain damage because of oxygen deprivation. So I don't know if her ribs are broken because of Beverly or if it was probably because of resuscitation. Oh, I mean, Um, yeah. That would be my guess. Maybe if they were doing chest compressions, that would break your ribs. Yeah, especially a preemie. Yeah. Well, it gets even more shitty because okay. Katie's mother, Katie and Becky's mother, Sue Phillips, <laughs> being so kind and so grateful for all that Beverly did because she saved her baby's life and or tried to save her baby's life, she asked her to be godmother. What? Yeah. Oh, goodness. Devil mother, more she like it. She accepted... Because, oh, I am, okay, wait, I think I might have buried the lead. This one lived. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. I'm happy. Katie lived. I'm, I'm happy. I'm sorry. I had to look more at my notes. I thought that, I'm like, oh, she got broken ribs and serious brain damage. She died. Well, she inflicted partial paralysis on this child and caused cerebral palsy and sight and hearing damage on the infant. So she's now the godmother to this living child who she has maimed. 
So that's why Wow. it's even more fucked up. Boy, oh boy. I know. Sorry about that. I really just wanted to make you guys be like, no. Oh, phew. Yeah. Yeah. So four more victims follow this. Okay. Until the last victim on April 22nd. So we're almost there, guys. Um, she attacks her last victim, 15-month-old Claire Peck, who is an asthmatic who required a breathing tube. She's left in Beverly's care for only a few minutes and suffers a freaking heart attack. Piece of shit. I know. Beverly revives her, and but is left with her alone again, and Claire has a second attack and dies. So she's only there for only a few minutes. So Son I think Beverly's getting cocky. She's like not waiting a couple days after the kids get there. Like she's like, oh boy, she keeps pushing the limits. Meat. I know, terrible. So the autopsy just indicated Claire died from natural causes. Mm-hmm. Well, later when there was an exhumation of her body, they discovered traces of li- maybe you can help me with this lignocaine, lig- lignocaine. L-I-G-N-O-C-A-I-N-E. Maybe that was a typo. Maybe it just means lidocaine. Okay, thank you. Because I was like, well, lignocaine. Oh, oh, oh. Here we go. It's a drug used during cardiac arrest. If I would only look farther in my notes. Yes. (laughs) I'm new to podcasting, so getting cut some slack helps. Um, This is actually never a medicine that's given to a baby. Right. So that's why they think it's so odd. Yeah. Do you it give is lidocaine. lidocaine during cardiac arrest? Yes. Okay, then it is lidocaine. Yeah, it's lidocaine. Cool. Yeah. Cool beans, guys. Well, we figured out that there was a typo. Yeah. I promise that was in the article. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I know how much spelling and grammar matters. <laughs> it does. I know you know. So finally, blessings and honor befall Dr. All the blessings and honor to Dr. Nelson Porter. He's a consultant at the hospital and... He finally initiates an inquiry because he's alarmed by all these cardiac arrests over just two months. And um, tests revealed at this point that there was a high level of potassium in baby Claire's blood. Uh-oh. And police were summoned 18 days later. Don't ask me why it's 18 days later. Why was it 18 days later? You said don't ask. It just took time. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't follow directions well, do you? Nope. <laughs> You're a rebel and I like that. Um, so the police superintendent, Stuart Clifton, is assigned and suspects, uh, suspects foul play, um, and examines the other cases over these past two months. Oh, no. And finds extremely high doses of insulin in most oh, of the babies. Yeah. Yeah. So he, they sent in Paul Crampton's blood, that was the five-month-old, and, uh, to the lab, and... They find a dangerous amount of insulin, the second highest amount ever recorded at the time in his bloodstream. Jeez. And this is a baby. I know. Wow. So then there's further evidence. I want to know the numbers. I'm like, how much? What were his, <laughs> his, his I mean, numbers? I want to know the labs. Give me, <laughs> give me the numbers. Oh, I'm tapping into your medical nerd side. Well, they found that. She, Beverly, had reported this key to the insulin refrigerator is missing. Mm. hmm And record checks revealed missing daily nurse's logs, which are then, during a search of her home, parts of this missing nurse log are found there. Yeah. They also find in her home a syringe, a hospital pillowcase, a book showing which nurse was assigned to each child and when, 
And these were pages ripped out of the, a colleague's similar copy. Oh. So she did not cover her tracks well. No. At all. We've got another Leopold and Loeb situation going on here where it's yes. like, you're not the smartest because there are, unfortunately, there would have been a lot of ways where she could have done this and gotten away with it, mm-hmm. at least for a lot longer if she were smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is the point at which I'm thinking mental illness. Mm-hmm. But... um She refuses to confess what she's done. She's charged with four counts of murder, 11 counts of attempted murder, 11 counts of causing grievous bodily harm, and even tells her close friends before a trial that she would never go to prison. Okay. So, but she's not admitting to any of this. Mm -mm. She's still saying no, nothing Mm -mm. to do with it. Mm -mm. Okay. Yeah. Which, who knows? Later... Wait, I'll get there. So... Two leading experts, um, a forensic pathologist, Jeremy Coyd, and a criminologist, Elizabeth Yardley, which sounds like such a wonderful like English name, Elizabeth Yardley. Love it. Yes. she. Uh, they both examined Beverly while she's awaiting trial, and they both said she's not mentally ill. She's completely competent and aware of what she's doing, and she should go to prison. So... Beverly's tendencies stay around, and while she's awaiting trial, she starts to really lose weight. She says she's not going to eat. She develops anorexia and has numerous delays in the trial due to her illness. She loses 70 pounds. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I should have shown you. I did bring pictures like last time because I really want to show you what this looked like. So... Okay, in this picture, she kind of looks like an ex-boyfriend of mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which, good on me. Um, but this picture, she doesn't. Okay. And she looks like a 14-year-old boy. This is her going to trial. Yeah, she does have a very yes. um, much more masculine appearance. Like, just looking at these photos, I wouldn't necessarily um, think that that was... No. Someone who was wanting to present as female. No, right? Maybe she exactly. didn't. Maybe we don't know her gender identity. Exactly. So, who but knows? Also, but also, gender identity doesn't make you kill people. No, no. <laughs> I wasn't implying there was a link there. Of course not. I just wanted to touch on that. <laughs> my, par- <laughs> my partner is non-binary, so I know the gender things don't contribute to Lots of gay friends. Them. Not worried that they're going to kill me. <laughs> um, so... Um, she is like, saying she's innocent, but then now she's like maybe mm-hmm. trying to get sympathy by purposefully not eating and again, just her, her same Munchausen's is presenting. Right. But I really find it interesting that these two experts are saying she's not mentally ill. They're not classifying Munchausen's as a mental illness. Right. So she was officially diagnosed with that Munchausen's yes. and Munchausen's by proxy. Yes. And maybe they're saying, like, because you said that she was deemed not mentally ill and was, mm-hmm. like, fit to stand trial. But, like, someone can be mentally ill but not insane. I think, like, the whole, yeah. like, insanity defense means that you're not fit to stand trial because you're just, like, not. But you can be you're mentally co- ill and be totally, like, coherent co- coherent and cognitively aware of, like, what, what you're, you're doing, doing and actively choosing it. So I think that's what these right. criminologists and psychologists are saying. And, and incidentally, she goes to trial at Nottingham Crown Court 
on February fifteenth, nineteen ninety-three. And um, I mean, if you think about it at this point, she'd been lying about illnesses from childhood to adolescence to adulthood. So she's very conniving and can lie well. Mm-hmm. And the the jury, of course, learned she's present at each suspicious episode. And there's a sudden stop to these episodes when she's taken off the ward, which I think is quite telling. <laughs> That's a little clue. It does a bit. And if not, there's further evidence showing high readings of insulin and pota- insulin and potassium in each of the victim's um, toxicology screens. There's mm-hmm. drug injections, puncture marks. She's also accused of cutting off her victim's oxygen, either by smothering or tampering with machines, inserting air bubbles, things like that. Okay. Fortunately, Mr. Justice Latham convicts her on May 23rd, and she's given 13 life sentences for murder and attempted murder. And he says this is the harshest sentence ever delivered to a female, but it was commensurate um, with the horrible sufferings of these victims, their families, and just how terrible that she had been in the nursing profession. And a pretty, pretty bad nurse, pretty I would say. Pretty bad nurse. <laughs> it's safe to say. I titled this, I titled my notes, Beverly Allett, she's no babysitter first round draft pick. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly enough, she doesn't go to prison. What? I know. Wait, okay, so he gave her 13 life sentences. Skirt. Yes. She's instead incarcerated at Rampton Secure hospital in Nottingham, a high security facility housing. What's so, that mean? So that means it's for people that are mentally ill. Mm-hmm. So she admits to three of the murders of which she's charged, as well as six of the assaults. But these <laughs> these psychologists are saying, well, it's a ploy. You know, she's really good at lying. She wants to be in the hospital other than the prison because she even tells the press, hey, it's nice. Like I get to... Uh, embroider and I get to go outside and they one of the parents of the victims called it a holiday camp rather than a prison Mm. and she also of course as an inmate starts her attention seeking behavior again ingesting ground glass and pouring boiling water on her hand at this institution place Mm -hmm. well I guess they weren't watching her very well that's what I'm saying I'm like I mean because you worked in a psych ward, so you kind of got to see, and I work in that profession area as well, and unfortunately, as a nurse, you're not always able to, and there's not always great nurses in psych wards. It's true. Sometimes you don't have the staff to keep, like, one-on-one eyes on someone, especially if they're, if it's, like, a state institution situation where they're mm. living there indefinitely. It's, like, can mm-hmm. be hard, but it's also, like, okay, where is she getting these materials to, like injure herself you can keep them away from boiling water you can keep them away from glass yeah i mean in that instance it's like you just because like no one in a hospital like that should get water that hot like we wouldn't give out boiling water to patients when i worked at a facility that was like that so i mean even the doorknobs are made secure yeah, everything is, there's so many precautions in place. So I'm like, how is she yeah. still hurting herself and doing all this stuff? But I mean, maybe it's, uh, things slip through functions. the cracks. Exactly. So unfortunately, the impact of her case, though, shut down the Grantham and Kesteven Hospital. Oh, no. This maternity unit is closed down altogether. Oh, bummer. So all the nurses lose out. And uh, 
So reports say that in 2001, she was set to marry her fellow inmate, Mark Higgy. But uh, I guess it didn't work out. Fell <laughs> Plans fell through and she's still currently single. Um, <laughs> oh, man. And... Is she on Bumble? <laughs> She's, she's actually 52 now, and she's currently serving three life sentences in this psychiatric ward. But then later I read that it was adjusted to 30 years because that was the minimum, like, minimum amount of years that she had to serve by the... I didn't quite understand how the legal system works. Yeah. I'm always a bit confused. I mean, it could be different than here. Yeah. It, I mean, I'm sure it is different than it is here. So she went from 13 life sentences to 30 years. It was adjusted, I guess, mm. somehow. To Anyway, she's ah, still in there. And, I mean, if that one reports to be believed that I saw, then she'll be out in a couple of years. Let's hope not. No, let's definitely hope not. In July 2018, she got sepsis and was being monitored closely, Mm. but made it through. So, (laughs) wow. That is the story of Beverly Allen. Oh, man. This makes me want to, like, research more about Munchausen's. I mean, this is called factitious disorder now. So it's formerly known as Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Uh So it's actually changed. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's not really um, a way to cure it. Um, they can't, it's a difficult condition to treat effectively. I don't think it's very common, is it? No, especially both of them presenting together. Yeah. So I don't know much about that one. I never had a patient personally who had that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So I don't know too much about it, but it is very interesting. And also so sad that all of those people had to suffer. And it's really weird because Mm -hmm. every time I've heard about this Munchausen by proxy, Mm -hmm. It's been like someone who is um, like either a relative, you know, someone close to the person. It's weird that she did this. Like, what was she getting out of it? Because sometimes it's like when someone does this, it's most of the time that I've heard of it is like a parent-child sort of scenario. Exactly. Where it's like the parent is getting all sorts of attention and even like financial gain and whatever Mm -hmm. else from and sympathy for because they have a sick child but like what was this woman getting out of these children was she trying to save them and be the hero but then she just failed because i think she was getting attention for being there to save them quickly they're always like oh wow you're the first on the scene to help these kids i mean that one lady was like wow you go over and beyond to stay extra with her i'll make you her godmother um so it was just a way of her getting attention because the the causes of factitious or Munchausen's by proxy, researchers are now theorizing that it's both a psychological, there's psychological and biological factors involved. So many children that are diagnosed with this, they they have physical, emotional, sexual abuse when they're kids. Um, Some think, and this is what I probably think because we didn't hear about abuse, they only got attention as kids if they, to get love or care, you had to be sick or injured. It's yeah. a different way to think about it. Yeah, that's true. That was a very interesting, depressing, but interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh. You're welcome. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> okay, so will you promise me next episode, no dead kids? Okay, I okay. mean, unless I find something really good. In which case, <gasps> I'll make it wait for the... 
two podcasts out. I'll okay. Keep... All right. No dead kids next time. We'll okay. just go some regular good old adult killings. <laughs> just regular older dead people, please, from now on for a little while at least. Um, okay. So we'll be back in two weeks with more wonderfully weird non-child not child related next time stories i definitely want to hear what people think about some of these missing people that you mentioned though i would love to hear from from some of the people listening what they think yeah send us your theories we have an email address it's in the show notes and i'll also say it out loud it's odds.ends.pod at gmail.com and we're on instagram odds.ends.pod with a little at sign. I forgot to say that at the beginning of it. <laughs> We're on the Instagram. Fortunately, I haven't seen any other odds and ends podcasts. Oh, really? So. We're so a ridge. Yeah, we are. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. See ya. The end. The end.